hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. We have the best community. Many months ago, someone trolled a Queer Money Facebook ad and the articulate and cohesive counter response to this troll from someone we had never met blew us away. So we did some digging around to see who our defender was, Jack Knoxville, and we had to invite him onto the podcast. Turns out Jack Knoxville is a professional superhero for the queer community. In 2015, Jack was the first trans man to run for political office in the southern U.S. He later ran for mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. Eventually, Jack founded the Trans Empowerment Project, one of the largest providers of direct aid in the U.S. for the trans community with a focus on disabled, queer, and trans people of color. On Queer Money episode 342 today, Jack joins us to talk about the current state of transgender rights in the U.S. and shares insight into the financial state of the trans community. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So you might find this hard to believe, but every now and then we get trolls and haters on social media. <laughs> being every uh, now and then being a podcast like about one o'clock, three o'clock and five o'clock <laughs> being a podcast about queer people for queer people can sometimes attract the haters. And David and I tried not to get too mired into the negativity. Very often, actually, we, we're, we're open to constructive criticism. If people have constructive criticism or feedback on our podcast or our content, we don't delete that, but we typically delete hateful comments. But there was one string of conversation going on in one of our feeds that we kind of just let going because the engagement from the audience or the readers was pretty amazing. And so we felt, well, who is this Jack Knoxville and what does he do that he's so amazing? And so we did some research on him and we're like, wow, he's got a great organization and he's doing some great work for the LGBTQ community, especially the transgender community. And we need to have this person on our show. So with that, Jack Knoxville of the Trans Empowerment Project, welcome to the Queer Money Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. Of course. Thank you. So before we dive into that, like, how did you muster the courage to just get into this pretty pragmatic conversation with this hater? I mean, I didn't see any emotion in your comments at all. It was very pragmatic, no exclamation points, no curse words. You didn't attack them at all. It was just, you were laying out the data and pretty much calling them out on their hate. And I just, how did you maintain that composure and have that courage? I'll be honest with you. This is my every day, (laughs) kind of what I do from, you know, running trans empowerment project and also as an openly out trans man myself, you know, I I've unfortunately dealt with a lot of hate especially over the last few years, you know, as we've seen the the rise and just all of it. 
but yeah, so jumping in and and also under taking the time to understand like what's going to work and what's not. Like for me, it, I can't I can't spend my energy being angry and fighting with people because it's so draining. But there's a difference there's a difference between approaching a conversation with facts and saying like, "Hey, look, actually these are the reasons why this thing needs to exist." It also lands better, you know, on on the receiving end. And even if that person's not listening, to me, I see it as think about how many people are reading through that that news feed and seeing like comment after comment and actually taking that education and and doing something with it. Yeah, well, we thank you for that. David and I have a lesson to learn in pragmatism and composure <laughs> holding. <laughs> that was awesome. So with that, and, and unfortunately, practice makes perfect, right? But ideally, you wouldn't have to have that kind of practice, right? It wouldn't be necessary. But to kick this conversation off, obviously, we all are well aware that the trans community is under direct attack from many conservatives all over the country, specifically at the state level right now. Can you give us a sense from your perspective of how you and the folks you work with and, and through the Trans Empowerment Project are feeling today? Sure. I think across the board, you know, for the most part, the tone is very um, frustrated. A lot of people are very frustrated. It's a lot to constantly feel like we're under attack all the time. And, you know, coming from people who are supposed to be good people that are leading, you know, for all of these great moral reasons and things, but at the end of the day are kind of throwing us under the bus. What I try to remind myself and others of is this is the first time in our modern history that we are able to live our authentic lives in the ways that we are. So even though it feels really heavy and like we are constantly under attack, we're also winning. We are doing better now than we have done in modern history as trans people. And so the fact that I can live my life as an out trans person, I ran for office as an out trans guy, like, you know, I've done all of these things and been able to do it as my authentic self, rather than being forced to live uncomfortably, as I have been in the past. So I think even though it does feel heavy, yeah, I still think we're winning. Awesome. I have to say, we love hearing that because from as before we started this interview, David and I, you know, we look at the data, we're watching the news, we feel under attack, even as cis white gay men can't imagine how the trans community and other people in the LGBTQ community feel today. And it does seem heavy and negative. So the fact that you're in the fight uh, and you deal with it every day more so than we are, and you still feel positive. That gives us a glimmer of hope. Right. I'll add, I think that sometimes we get stuck in the day and in the moment, right? But we have to sometimes look at the bigger picture. You know, what kind of progress have we made or are we making as a community? Unfortunately, we know that the executive office, the executive pen right now has been the key to some of the movement forward and unfortunately, some of the movement backward, right? But we have to be thankful that we have what we have right now. Gratitude is a big way to overcome some of those really negative feelings that we have. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll tell you the other part for me that helps me to stay focused and stay positive is I, I don't look at systemic change. Like systemic change is not my measure of success by any means. We saw it as soon as 
the the last person in office came along, you know, with their giant eraser, they erased years of people's hard work mm -hmm. uh, because they could. It was so easy. But where that change doesn't is not easily erasable is in cultural change. And so for me, that's the shift that I'm seeing when I can turn on the television and see trans characters portrayed by trans people and not in negative derogatory means. That's that's a win. That is a huge win. So hopefully the, the arc of history does bend toward justice, even though it's slow, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so most of us are aware of some of the legislation that are attack, that's attacking the trans community, specifically in, in Florida and I think Texas. Texas. What newer pending legislation is concerning to you right now? Really, all of the attacks against trans children is really concerning for me especially because we saw we we have seen this narrative go from targeting trans adults in bathrooms as being the scary monsters that everybody should be afraid of when that lie did not stick they turned it to trans kids because if you can keep a trans kid from transitioning they don't become a trans adult and so this is the tactic that's being used right now and obviously, you know, we've, we've got a lot of work to do. We need to make sure that all trans kids have the ability to live as their authentic selves. I personally didn't get to start transitioning until I was 35 years old. And we, we don't need to live in that, that type of culture. We need, we need people to be able to live as their authentic selves because we all deserve to thrive. Absolutely. Do you feel, having been a trans kid at one time, if you were that age now, what do you think you would be feeling? What, what would your emotion and your mental state be if you were hearing this negative legislation on the news all the time? You know what, the, the contrast between the experience I had and the experience that I feel like I would have are, are night and day. In a lot of ways, it would feel very overwhelming and daunting to feel like, man, I am never gonna catch a break you know, and feeling like, will I ever have the ability to really be my authentic self? However, I will also say that, you know, as somebody who grew up in the 90s, you know, and, and there was not that representation and we didn't have, there was no real mention of trans people, period. The very rare times that trans characters were introduced, they were essentially the butts of jokes. And so, seeing that there's movement i feel like would actually make me feel hopeful and would make me feel seen and visible and like i was not alone you know from my own personal experiences i came out as well bisexual at the time around the same time that ani defranco came out and that was the first like person that i was like finally somebody like me i didn't have to feel like i was just you know this person out here experiencing things in silo and and like you know i was the the outcast of my my group or my my town or whatever so yeah i mean being able to see more folks identifying as trans and non-binary that are celebrities and that are achieving great things and stepping into power i think if if anything that would hopefully give me a lot more hope and a lot more you know faith in in the future yeah, you know, I think I'm glad that you said that. I think you're right because I'm going back to, you know, when MTV had the, the real world and all of a sudden you started to see some some LGBTQ characters, gay men on, on the real world. And then they had my so-called so life and you started to see, okay, now there's this representation and it isn't always negative. There were some negative aspects to it. And so maybe telling more of a real or positive, more of a real story 
I'm not trying to gloss over things, but it, they weren't murderers. They weren't always the one, the the the, the person who died in the, ep- in the in the movie or the episode. So it was. I, you're you're right. It did start to seem a little bit more hopeful, even though we knew in the news and especially in politics that it wasn't necessarily positive. But that hope does sort of spring eternal. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. What new or pending legislation might the average person not be aware of? You kind of, this is your job is to stay ahead of these things. Is there anything that you're seeing coming down the pike that you want to call out for the community? Yeah, the biggest thing is the criminalization of folks who are helping trans kids to transition. You know, the idea that a medical professional could be incarcerated or face huge penalties for actually helping somebody to do better and to live their authentic selves and to, you know, not be going through mental health issues and and all of these things. So basically, just the fact that doctors, teachers, parents can all be investigated as though they're doing something harmful by actually supporting the the lives and ability for trans people to thrive is one of the most concerning pieces of legislation for me right now. Gotcha. So Jack, let me ask you, I'm going to play devil's advocate a, a little bit here because I think that there are people, definitely a lot of people on the far right, but I think that there are some people in the middle and maybe some people people even in our own community who are just not familiar. So let's just, maybe you could answer kind of the question that a lot of people have of why can't we wait until these kids are of age to make this decision for themselves? Why can't we wait until they're 18 when they can go buy a gun, when when they are able to do all the things that adults are supposed to do. And we know that don't adults don't always make the right decision. Right. But so why is it, why is now the a, a time, why should parents, legislators, families, concerned citizens be comfortable with and supportive of someone who wants to do this when they're eight, nine, 12, 15 years old? I mean, there's a couple different things to kind of unpack there. The first thing is, is that usually kids at eight, nine years old, they're not, they're not being given hormones, you know, and pushed through one way or the other. If anything, most of the time, the younger adults are being given hormone blockers to keep their bodies from transitioning naturally through to puberty. And and the good thing about those blockers is it keeps your body from basically going through the motions of, you know, growth and development in ways that you don't like and you're not comfortable with, which later leads to the need for surgery, you know, and having to go through surgeries that we could have stopped by just giving this kid a hormone blocker for a couple of years. I mean, you know, it's not like they're not going to they're not going to have their puberty if they're on a hormone blocker. It's just going to keep their bodies in check until they are able to make a more educated decision. The other part of this is for me, I see it all the time with with 
parents and adults, you know, they see little kids and they, they have these conversations with them about who they are, you know, or, you know, who, who's your boyfriend, who's your girlfriend, and they say all these things, but like, these are little kids, and we have no problem with their answers as long as they answer in the ways that we expect them to. So as long as that, that little cis girl says, oh, I'm a little girl and I'm going to marry this boy Tommy, then we're fine with it. But let that child say, you know, my name is Sarah, I'm going to marry my best friend Jessica, then all of a sudden there's a problem, you know, or if they say, well, I'm a little boy, even though they present female, all of a sudden they don't know who they are. So why is it that we're trusting them part of the time, but we don't trust them the rest of the time? And that, that to me is, is really one of the biggest things. And then the last part for me is the mental health issues that it causes when you are not comfortable in your body. Like I said, I didn't get to start transitioning until I was 35 years old. And I mean, like, we would have to have a couple of episodes of your of your show here to go through all of the harm I went through because I was not able to be my authentic self, you know, and and a lot of that people are a lot more likely to believe that the mental health issues that the trans community faces is because, you know, we're, we're not comfortable with ourselves and we're having all these mental health issues. But it's not that. What causes the mental health issues is the reactions that we, we are met with from other people who won't allow us to be our authentic selves, you know, and that the amount of gatekeeping and hate and just, I mean, there's so much harm that goes into not allowing somebody to be the person that they know themselves to be. Gotcha. That's very insightful. Thank you. Thank you. And boys, girls, trans kids, Tommy is trouble. I know. <laughs> Stay away from him. <laughs> Gotta watch out for that one. <laughs> so let's dive into the, the finances part of this, because obviously this is the Queer Money podcast. Can, can you share what unique obstacles to financial wellness the QTPOC people have historically faced? Yeah. I mean, when you start talking about disabled queer and trans people of color or queer and trans people of color, you know, each, each of these is another level of marginalization, which is another obstacle or another barrier to having your needs met. And so that can look like employment discrimination. It can look like discrimination in housing, even accessing bank accounts. For instance, with myself, when I first started my medical transition, I specifically went through a, a bank who I knew was a funder of a lot of pride events across the country. So I was like, hey, I'm going to go through y'all. I even let them know, hey, I'm going to be transitioning. Is this going to be a problem? They said no. As soon as my voice started changing, my, my account was locked for security reasons and I went through hell. Anytime I had an issue at the bank, I had to go down to the bank with ID and they, nobody would talk to me about my account. And it was really, really difficult and frustrating to manage most of my finances just because my, my voice did not match with the, you know, apparent gender of who I was. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many obstacles and barriers out there that are keeping us from being able to live our best lives with financial wellness. Right. I had never thought about the consequence of the actual transition period. I knew that there were the challenges of having the name updated and your gender updated. Oh, you don't put your gender on your account, do you? So yes, yeah, you yeah, do. So I knew about the challenges with that. I didn't. I never thought about. Okay, all, all of a sudden, this person's voice is changing. And David and I both worked on customer service phones for various financial services firms. So that would be a red flag. Like, why does this the gender of the theoretical gender of this name not match the theoretical sounding voice of of this person? And that would be a red flag. 
how how so you the only way you could, could overcome that was to revisit the bank every single time with all the documentation yep every single time and then and then going through having my actual name changed that just added so much more fun to that mix mm-hmm. so yeah it's you know Every step of the way throughout your transition is like more obstacles, more barriers, other things that you have to address and, and things you won't, you, you may not have thought of, you know, and that goes with, like I said, jobs, even with applying for and interviewing for jobs, you know, same, same kind of situation happens. I interviewed for a lot of different jobs when I was first transitioning, because actually I lost my job when I started transitioning. I had been working as a senior web producer for a large online retailer, was super excited to finally have access to health insurance, started my transition. This place was like, oh, by the way, you're fired. Because Tennessee is a right to work state, nobody cared that they fired me or for the reasons that they fired me. And so I was left to scramble to try to figure out like, okay, what do I do now? First of all, every single doctor I called, I, you know, I tried to see somebody before my insurance ran out. Every doctor I would talk to, they'd say, oh, yeah, what do you need to be seen for? And I'm like, well, I just I'm a trans guy. I want to be seen. And they're like, you know what, sweetheart? I'm so sorry. We're actually not taking new patients today. I'm like, cool. Thanks for, for telling me up front. You're a bigot. You know, <laughs> and then and then right after that was the the same thing with like trying to get jobs. I would interview and talk to people. and. I could tell, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a call. I'm like, sure, you will. Mm-hmm. Never heard from these folks again. And it's it was the voice and, and name thing that and it lasted for, you know, quite a while until I could afford to change my name. Gotcha. Let me ask you, my assumption is based on that whole all those experiences you just described to us. That was that was pre Biden administration. Yes. Is that correct? Are you that being the case, then are you the people that you work with? Are you starting to see? that level or type of discrimination changing because of his executive orders? No. President Biden's executive orders? No, we, we haven't really seen much of a change. If anything, I mean, like the attacks and the violence against trans people is just getting worse, especially because the, the right is continuing their attacks. You know, I mean, there's been so much anti-trans legislation that's been lifted up over the last couple of years. And then especially like, you know, after this most recent shooting, I don't know if y'all saw, but somebody in the GOP decided to lift up and say that this was this was a trans person who had done the shooting. And then that, again, put more of a target on this community's backs. There were reports of at least one or two trans women that were basically, I don't want to say like attacked, but somewhat confronted, you know, that maybe they were the potential shooter or something because of because of those lies that were being spread online. Yeah, I I did see that report and it was it was startling because the evidence was already out that it wasn't. And so lies we get lies, stuff like it doesn't have to be truthful. They just know that they can spew out whatever they want and that the people who they're influencing as influencers are going to believe it. Right. You have to send the Gaspasso police after them. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only solution. I don't know. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Have you seen any sort of positive return from from President Biden's executive orders? And the reason I'm asking this question is because it's always frustrating to me. It's great when when we get a president who issues those kind of executive orders for housing services. Well, employment, that's actually was was the Supreme Court of the United States. So that's that's actual legislation or 
decided. But, you know, the next president can come in, as you said earlier, and just erase it. And right, there's a good chance, at least from the Republican perspective, that Trump will run again and, and there's a potential that he could win. And so he on his first day back in office, he could erase exactly what, what Biden did. So, you know, those those are just temporary. And I always hate because I think that we get excited about it. And then we forget that that's actually not law yet. That's just that's just an executive order. It could be easily erased. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, un- unfortunately, because this, it's not like there's been any stability with this. You know, everything has been so up and down. Do we have rights? No, we don't. Oh, wait, we're, we might get this crumb. You know, it's it's really hard to count on that kind of support as being like law and, and actually existing. And so I think for the most part, this community doesn't really want to get its hopes up. But at the same time, it's like, we exist here, you know, and so... For instance, with Trans Empowerment Project, one of the things that we do is we try to focus on creating our own systems of support because the greater system outside of us, it doesn't look, we weren't, we were never meant to exist within that system, let alone thrive. And so at this point, we have to work with our allies and we have to work with the the people that are in our community to create the resources and the access to the resources that we need in order to actually be able to thrive. And so that's where we're seeing some changes like, you know, we're finding that more people are interested in, in aligning with us and becoming partners and learning how to be better allies for the community and things like that. But in terms of like actual systemic change and seeing movement like that, I'm just not seeing it yet. Yeah. Are you, when you're talking about the, 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 the alternative support systems that you're creating, are you, are you looking for sort of creating networks of mental health therapists, doctors, and, and does that include any sort of financial component to it? I mean, we don't have, we really don't have much by way of the financial component yet. But right now, we actually just recently kicked off a program called Project Care. And Project Care is focused on helping healthcare workers to understand the difference between providing trans health services and actually providing care because they are they are totally different and so we're working to educate those folks on on how that's done we also have a program called like the trans employment project where we are not just working to to provide affirming jobs for trans people, but we we also want to work with employers to help them get across the finish line on being more affirming for their their staff and you know clients and whatnot. Gotcha. The re- part of the reason why I asked that question was one was because I wanted to understand better the services that you're providing, but two, from the Motley Fool Defrey Guys LGBTQ Money Study, we saw that queer people were as likely to have a crypto wallet as they were a retirement account of any sort, whether that's a traditional Roth IRA or a company-sponsored retirement plan, such as a 401k. And so we were sort of, we're sort of wondering if the uh, cryptocurrency is sort of like this, this, this underground kind of subversive financial system. (laughs) Anti-establishment. Yeah, anti-establishment. And so we were wondering if maybe that's sort of where the community is headed. Like if if you're not going to include us or make it easy for us to bank and use your systems and services, we'll just create our own currency and we'll create our own financial system. But so that's why I asked that question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll ask, you mentioned being in Tennessee. I guess you go back decades the queer community has always gravitated to places where they had community. You know, whether you're San Francisco, New York, Chicago, LA, Miami, places where we could gather 
and have that kind of support. And what we have seen happen over, especially probably over the last two decades or so, is that the places that queer people have gravitated towards have become increasingly more expensive. And we're actually now in many cases being pushed out by wealthy, cis, non-queer folks. And I'm just kind of curious, are you seeing that migration with trans folks? And how is that impacting them financially? You're picking up and moving from a place like, I don't know where in Tennessee you're at, but from a red state, moving out to a place like that where you may not have the financial resources to do that, but you're going to get the care that you can get. Is that having a detrimental impact on those folks? And what about the folks who are left behind, who don't have the resources or can't do that? Yeah, great questions. To be honest with you, it is definitely having a negative impact on our community. Trans Empowerment Project, a lot of the folks that we help are clients that are coming to us that are either homeless or on the verge of homelessness. A lot of times, you know, we're, we're providing direct aid for folks. And I will say a lot of our clients in the areas that you named are definitely drowning in debt, especially since COVID hit with losing their, their jobs and then having negative impacts to their credit scores and not able to get on their feet. I have a couple in LA right now that I've been trying to get some housing resources for for quite a while, but they are in that, that exact situation where both of them, their credit scores have taken a, a hell of a hit. They cannot find work. They they cannot get the money that they need for a down payment because, you know, the cost of living in a place like L.A. has skyrocketed. I mean, just trying to get them an Airbnb, the prices were like $10,000 a month, you know, and so for them they are just having a horrible time. And we are seeing that all over the place on the one hand, more rural areas like Knoxville, Tennessee, a lot of these places are starting to have more housing programs, which is which is really nice. But then in the bigger areas where you're going to find more support for, you know, the rest of your livelihood, the, those places, either the resources are just drying up or are just so run down because there's so many people that are depending on these resources. So, yeah, it's it's a really like it's a catch 22. So it's sort of like you have to pick the lesser of two evils for your particular situation. Totally. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, if you add for those people who also have the, the added layer of being special needs, that makes things even harder. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure. Just, I'll just go off my own experiences. I'm on the autism spectrum. I deal with chronic pain and chronic fatigue for me. I basically have spent most of my life without any care because I have not had access to what I needed. I didn't have access to insurance, had a hard time with job resources and things like that. And so that's what happens more often than not. Trans people don't go to doctors because we don't, we can't afford it. We don't have the insurance for it. And then when we finally do get to a doctor, a lot of times we have to deal with the discrimination and or uneducated doctors who we're then educating our providers on what care looks like. And that can obviously be really difficult. And then, you know, a lot of times you go to a doctor, you have one bad experience. You're probably not going to go back to that doctor again. Right. 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 You know, I always get frustrated when we have these kinds of interviews because I, I don't know what to do. So I guess that's the question is, is, is 
what's being done isn't enough. And I, we know people who are doing, trying to do a lot, organizations and people who are trying to do a lot, but it's, it's not enough because the headwinds are so much more challenging. What solutions, I mean, I know that's a tall order. What solutions do you have? What more can we do as a community, specifically the LGBTQ community? What more can, because I, I oftentimes think that maybe until recently, maybe it's changed a little bit, but up in, we oftentimes forget about the transgender community when we talk about gay rights issues, right? And so maybe that's starting to change now, but what can we as a community do more of and do better of? You know, that's a great question. And also, I mean, you're exactly right, is that a lot of times the LGB forgets about the T and we 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 can't afford that. We really need everybody to, to make sure that they're showing up for trans people. Like for me, myself, I've been doing this work for 20 plus years now. I started an organization back in 2002 called Free to Be. The whole purpose of that was to fight back against the state of South Carolina was using the antiquated sodomy laws to try to criminalize homosexuality. And that was, like I said, probably around 2002. And, you know, like I, I did a lot in that moment. I put together an awareness tour, I took all these bands to different LGBTQIA clubs around the state of South Carolina to help them get educated and understand what was on the table during that particular year for voting rights and things. But what seemed to happen to me was it was like once the gay and lesbian group had the right to marry and things like that, it was like, ah, you know, we're done. We, we've, we've had our liberation. And so there was that like, forget about trans people thing that happened. And I mean, I felt it personally myself, and it's been really frustrating. It's been really frustrating to navigate and to also experience. But on top of that, I mean, first and foremost, like we, we have to all get serious about what we want, especially for the future, right? And, and the reason I say that is because a lot of times what I'm hearing, especially in progressive spaces, is this conversation around equality. Everybody wants equality, but but we're not working on equality. What we're doing is we're working on keeping ourselves on this hamster wheel. And and the reason I say that is because right now what I think the right has done a great job of is this divide and conquer tactic. They have done a great job of making us think that each of our issues is being experienced in silo. So environmental justice issues are happening over here and trans issues are here and you know maybe gay rights are over here. They're all the same damn thing. We are all trying to push back against white supremacy. We are all trying to undo the harm of what has happened because of colonization and those, you know, the I don't know if you all are familiar with the 15 characteristics of white supremacy. If not, I highly recommend you Google that and, and look into it. But, you know, there are some really like very specific behaviors that are rooted in this white supremacy culture, one of which is the oppression of people. And like the fact that we, we don't have bodily autonomy, like reproductive rights, trans rights, LGBTQIA rights, they're all so interconnected. It all comes down to that gatekeeping and that white supremacy. And, and so like, we need to get real serious about what do we want? Do we want to continue to live in a world where white supremacy reigns true and, and is free to run us all into the ground? Or do we want to build that future where white supremacy doesn't reign anymore and we all get to thrive? And so that's, that's where, you know, I feel like 
our money. That's where we should be putting our money is to focus on building that future where we all get that ability to thrive and live our best lives. So Jack, let me ask you, why do we, I'm going to take a step back here. We just recently had a conversation with someone and this information is not public yet, but it probably will become public pretty soon. The evangelical Christians have a financial organization that a lot of them are using. That financial organization is going out and finding evangelical, other evangelical Christians with money. And they are all investing in what are called donor advised funds. So they're all putting their financial dollars into these donor advised funds. Donor advised funds, if you're not familiar, if, folks, if you're not familiar with this, donor advised funds are basically a way for people to give money to organizations that they want that money to go to. So let's say I'm an animal rights advocate. I can have that money go to an, a local organization or a national organization. And what's happening is millions of evangelical Christians are organized and putting their money into organizations that are intentionally trying to undermine anything. Roe v. Wade, LGBT rights, everything, everything that we are seeking for, for protection. Why is it that we as a community cannot get that organized? Because the progressive side does not play the long game well at all. Everything is an emergency all of the time. And it can't be like that. The right has done a, a fantastic job of playing the long game. They've been playing this game for centuries. And that's why it continues, because that's exactly what they're doing, is they are all focused on the same target. That's the other part of it, is, you know, what I was saying before with, like, we need to get aligned on taking down white supremacy, right? Like, that's what they've done well, is they are aligned on their goals and their targets. They are playing the long game extremely well. And they, they believe wholeheartedly in what they're doing. What I see happening on, on the progressive side of things is the exact opposite of that. I feel like, you know, everybody is still so stuck in this, like, this silo. And so I'm over here in my corner fighting this battle, and you're over here fighting your battle, but we are not aligned. And so it's a lot easier for them to keep us distracted and keep us busy. But to your point about the fund, so I, I am actually in the process of putting together a pack, and we are we want to address some of those issues that you just named, especially in terms of getting behind political candidates who are trans and or non-binary that may want to run for office. I've actually got a team of people right now. We are in the process of building out our pack and a C4 to answer some of these things that have gone unchecked for a while. Yeah. And I will say, we just recently did a study with The Motley Fool that was published this past week about the progress or the things that LGBT folks are doing with our money. We surveyed over 2,000 LGBT individuals, including 702 self-identified trans individuals. And it's interesting for a community that has $1.4 trillion in buying power. It's very interesting how we are using our money in non-constructive ways. 
that plan for the long term, that plan for our own long term, right? And 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 to be honest, I know that some of that could be uh, in part with the short term nature, how many people in this community have felt, right? Going through the eighties, I don't know how many. 80s and early 90s, how many queer people said, well, I'm probably not going to live for very long. I'm, it's highly likely I'm going to get AIDS and I'm going to die by the time I'm 35, 40 years old. I'm seeing people. So why bother investing for the future? We know that there's a, often a conversation in the trans community about security and safety and how many, especially trans women, have been murdered. And so we're not thinking about the long term when our own personal lives it's kind of hard that we would think about the long term collectively. Yeah, I think I think another part that's missing from that conversation is the fact that, you know, a lot of a lot of trans people get pushed out of their homes at young ages. And so we don't always get that level of education and care that our cis counterparts may get from their parents and even from schools. I mean, I've been on my own since I was 14 and basically grew up living out of a backpack. I didn't get to finish all of my high school experiences by any means. And so things normal, you know, things that that normally get taught during high school, like a lot of that stuff I had to figure out on my own. And so I think that there's there's a real lack of education, especially around more of like the social skills, you know, and, and the adaptive skills that we need that aren't just around book learning, but around like functioning and surviving in, in the everyday society. The other part of that is that so many of us tend to be in survival mode, that there is no tomorrow. You know, we can't think about what's going to happen a week from now or a year from now. We barely have the money we need to make it through today. And in a lot of cases, don't have that money. One of the, the most requested assets that I see coming through Trans Empowerment Project is food. So if that tells you anything, I mean, our, our community is hungry. A lot of our clients are coming to us and have not eaten or don't have access to food on a regular basis. So when we're talking about, you know, how do we, how do we figure out how we're going to retire? How do we even make it through Thursday, let alone plan for a retirement? Yeah. So if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you just can't worry about, you don't have the luxury to worry about what things are going to be like when you're 60, 80 years old, you're just worried about your next meal. But the thing is, is, you know, we still know, regardless, I don't know who has that $1.4 trillion or yeah, $1.4 trillion. There are people in the community that apparently have that because that study continues to come out and continues to reinforce that number. And it's always slightly increases study after study. So those of us who have that money maybe need to start realizing you're probably going to live now, thanks to all the, the medical advancements we've had, you probably will live to your 70, 80, 90 years old. And maybe it's time for us to just start being more organized and doing more with that money than just buying travel and entertainment and alcohol. And I know we're going to get, people are going to push back and say that we're shaming the community and we're wagging the finger at the community. And we might be, but we can't, to your point, we can't continue to act like everything's an emergency right now. We need to start thinking long-term because those of us who want to take away our rights, they've been working on this since before Jerry Falwell, right? This has been a strategy of theirs since Ronald Reagan became governor. This is a 30-year, 40-year strategy. And here we are kind of running from one fire to the next fire, trying to put everything out. And we're just running around like chickens with our heads cut off. So we got to get organized. And if that requires a little bit of shaming, so be it. Or we're just going to leave horrible opportunities for the, the generations that follow us. 
Yeah, you know, and that's that's actually one of the things that really drew me to your Facebook thread to begin with and what got me jumping in on the comments was, you know, I don't know if you remember the first comment that came that I responded to was somebody scoffing at the idea that we needed a queer money podcast. Like I can't remember the exact comment they left, but it was something like, oh, who cares if you're gay? You don't need, you know, you're, you spend your money the same. And I'm like, no, we do need these resources for that exact reason is that for too long, we have had to exist in that like today mentality. But I think you're exactly right. I think there are more support resources than we've ever seen. Just like, you know, we talked about at the beginning of this call is like, we are making strides. We are seeing that trans people can live successful, happy, fruitful lives. We don't always have to have our story ending in violence or ending prematurely. Like we have the ability to thrive. We are for the first time we are in this situation where we have we have the potential to create whatever story we want for ourselves. And the best way to get there is through learning how to create more stability for ourselves, whether mm -hmm. you're operating on a $10 a week budget or $10,000 you know, a month, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's still the fact that like, we have to build that security for ourselves and that foundation so that we can continue to do well and just keep growing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So with that in mind, I'm going to tack just a little bit because some of what we've talked about is disagrees with some of the data that we did find in the Motley Fool, Defrey Guys, LGBTQ money study. We were all, all of us who worked on that study were, were very surprised at the the positive numbers that we got back from the 702 self-identified trans folks. 38% of trans Americans reported earning more than $100,000 a year compared to 26% of the queer community overall and 31% of Americans overall. Trans respondents' credit scores tended to be better than the queer community overall, and they were also more likely to report having a non-retirement investing account. So for most people, if, if you're not aware, typically most people have go to a company-sponsored or traditional retirement account because they're more ubiquitous, easier to access. And very oftentimes your employer kind of imposes it on you in a good way. And so to have a non-retirement investing account is sort of next level kind of investing. So it was surprising to see that 56% of trans respondents have a non-retirement investment account versus 44% of the overall queer community. What do you think is, is going on there? What is the data that we found from the study seem to disagree with what we see and hear in general from the community overall? I mean, it really has to do with your sample set and your responders, you know, who's who's reading Motley Fool, who's who's engaging with this survey, you know, because it, it does it does, you know, kind of go against what I've been seeing, especially in terms of like the, the people who come to me, for instance, like I said, for the most part are people who are already homeless or facing homelessness. So the data I'm seeing come in through our inbox is going to be quite different than folks who might be reading Motley Fool. But we do know from the the Trans Health Survey that the National Center for Trans Equality led in 2015, which they're about to do another one soon. So hopefully we'll get some new numbers. But we do know from theirs, their survey, I think they surveyed about 28,000 self-identified trans people. And we were at three times more likely to be unemployed than our cis counterparts and like two and a half times the national average for living in poverty so you know hopefully the the difference between that survey and your results also are an indicator of the progress that's been made over the last couple of years as well so i think that there's there's definitely going to be some some room in there for that 
Yeah. Yeah, we kind of hope so. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just throw in there the the respondents to this survey are not not Motley Fool readers. It was a sample that was taken all all across the country through, by through, through, a, through a by party. a company called Polefish. So it specifically was not looking for individuals who may have a tendency to be investors or to be making progress financially. And I think the sample size of 702, obviously smaller sample size. John and I have a number of theories as to why we think it might be the case. And maybe you could you could address this one of the ones. We're just kind of curious, do you think that now that we're seeing much more, especially within the queer community and in media, more acceptance of trans folks, do you think that there are more folks who are older who are starting to transition, who have finally said, okay, I have I have been this way for myself. Well, like for example, you you said you didn't start transitioning until you were 35. And so I'm curious, we're just kind of curious as maybe a number, we're starting to see a larger number of older folks transitioning compared to individuals who may be 18, 21, 25. And because of that reason, they may have a history of having a career, having made certain life decisions that that prepared them. Or on the flip side, because they know that they're going to transition, they have had certain life events that they had to prepare for. They knew that they weren't going to have, especially up, to, up until recently, they knew they weren't going to have their transition costs covered by their healthcare provider. They knew they had to save tens of thousands of dollars to be able to transition, that, that the way that they wanted to transition. is Could that potentially be adding to this? Absolutely. I think the first piece that you called out, especially around the number of older folks that are starting to transition, you know, I mean, it's it's huge. There there are so many people, you know, over the age of 40 who are transitioning now that never thought it was possible previously to be able to live their authentic lives. And so, yeah, I think that's that's going to be a part of, you know, what we're seeing as well. Yeah. So these people would have maybe have more established careers, have more financial security already. Suddenly, hey, oh my gosh, I can now transition. It's easier to do than it was ever before. And I never thought I would have this opportunity. Now I can do that. And I, and just by virtue of the fact that I maybe went through most of my life as a, as a man, now that I transition as a woman, I'm trans and I've, my financial security is reflective of my life prior to that. Yeah. I also think, you know, I think Another part of that is, like I mentioned earlier, too, is like the number of folks who are interested in being allies and really opening themselves up to be more accepting of trans folks in general, like seeing the number of employers that are growing, you know, that are willing to not just accept a trans person, but like literally make room at the table and, you know, provide an affirming and safe space for for trans folks to work in. I think, you know, that number is also higher now than it probably has been, at least in modern times. Yeah, I love that you say that. I, 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 people are going to get tired of hearing me talk about this, but I just finished reading Believe It by Jamie Kern Lima. And one of her strategies, her entire career, she sold her cosmetics company to L'Oreal for billions of dollars. One of the things that had been important to her was to anytime she got a plus one to any sort of event, whether it was a board meeting, a cocktail party, some sort of conference, whatever, anytime she got a plus one, she's always been very intentional 
bringing a woman along with her to give them the opportunity to, to connect, have their voice heard, hear how people at these events talk, you know, sort of get their gears churning. And I think maybe that's something that we need to sort of do in the LGBTQ community, right? We have, we do have more, maybe, maybe it is that more cis white gay men are getting a seat at the table or, or lesbian women are getting a seat at the table. We need to be more intentional about bringing other people from the LGBTQ community along with us to make sure that they get, get, they get to be a part. We can double what we've got at these tables and we can get the conversation started more quickly, get these people integrated to the faces and the people that they need to be so that they can start having influence as well. Which leads me to one of my final questions here. You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. We all each only get one vote and that vote only goes so far. And unfortunately, it never it doesn't go far enough. With that, what more can we do politically right now to help the trans community, those of us who maybe are trans? Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the most impactful things that you can do is have a conversation with three friends, any three friends. This is a shout out to a company called Vote Tripling, who has just done an amazing job of really digging into like where where does the the biggest impact get met? And it really comes from holding conversations with three people that you know. And so that is called relational organizing, is having conversations with people you know in the places that you're already comfortable with. And so it's not like you're knocking on a stranger's door saying, hey, let me talk to you about trans people, because that's probably not going to get you very far. But you holding a conversation with a friend or a family member that you already know and already loves and respects you is going to definitely make it a lot further. And so making the time to hold these conversations and, and keep your friends and family members in check and educated, I mean, that's that's such a huge impact. So making it a point to like allow other people to share their stories is another one lifting up actual lived experiences. Right now, one of the reasons that the GOP has been so successful is because they are the ones controlling the narrative of what and who trans people are. We don't get to tell our own stories, but that needs to change because obviously, you know, the, the scary monster in the bathroom is not a, is not a real story that is, that is meant to keep people afraid, but stories about what trans people are actually dealing with and what our lived experiences are really like are, are going to be the most impactful, especially if we want to see progress for this community. So yeah, if you can make some space and hold those conversations with the people you love and care about, I mean, that, that will get us light years further than, than really just about anything else at this point. I, I definitely I will say that that, I think that that was probably one of the biggest changes that really has helped, especially gay men. I mean, I don't, I always say this, if it wasn't for straight women, a lot of, I think, I don't think a lot of progress would have been made in the LGBT community because a lot of straight women love their gay best friends. And they told a lot of people about us or invited us to events or just were there for us at work, spoke up when, and I think that that is, we need to continue to do that for the rest of the community. Yeah. I think, and I think that's something that's accessible to almost all of us to do. So I, I love that recommendation. What all and how else is the Trans Empowerment Project serving the trans community? Sure. So right now, our biggest thing is moving the, the trans community out of crisis and into spaces of empowerment. We have numerous projects and programs meant to kind of tackle the roots of some of our issues, like the Trans Employment Project, which I already told you about. We have an inmate advocacy project, which we have a partnership with four different states right now. We have about 30 trans inmate clients who we provide commissary funding for and a pen pal program 
So if folks want to write to somebody who's incarcerated, we definitely have space for you there. There's lots of ways that people can take action with us. We just launched an updated website today, actually. So you can visit transempowerment.org and see what we have for you there. But um, you can totally join our mailing list. You know, take take one of the actions on the website, donate, follow us, you know, just just keep your ear to the ground and, and show up when we put out the calls to action, because we there is so much work to do for this community. Like we, we literally cannot have enough volunteers. So, yeah, please keep your eye out and see what what we put out there because we need help. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, our, def- our, our listeners will definitely check out transempowermentproject.org and follow you on social media. And again, David and I want to thank you for standing up for our show when you didn't have to. And so it's, we feel it's incumbent upon us to support and, and stand up for the trans community as well as uh, the Trans Empowerment Project. So hopefully we'll continue to be able to, to do more to support you and the community overall. Sounds great. Thank you both so much. Of course. Thank you. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Jack, for all the work you do for the community. It was an honor to get to know you and your mission. Thank you, our listeners, for listening to another episode. Here's your queer money takeaway from the show. Please take Jack's advice and have a conversation with three of your own friends who may not already be allies of the trans community and let rational organizing help you help the trans community. Then join us Thursday for another Queer Money bonus episode and then next Tuesday for our regular scheduled show. Have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.